This is Daily Path Podcast. I'm your host, podcast coach, and transformational speaker, Joe Winters Jr. Now I've been in this business a long time. God gave me the gift of a strong mind. And when I step foot on a path, the good and the bad, they just come by. Never done trying. I do it, I do it. Till each time I do it, it's done right. Ooh. And God left his signature on me. So how could I ever be unsigned? See, everyone has got a gift. Not anonymous, but God given. What's up, everybody? I'm Joe Winters Jr., the founder of Daily Path Academy and your host of Daily Path Podcast. Welcome back to the show. And thank you for joining me this morning. Quick reminder, if you are a mission-driven entrepreneur, speaker, coach, or consultant looking to build a global podcast, then I'd really love to show you how you could do that. You can visit my website, joewintersjr.com, to book a free discovery call with me. It's my name. Again, that's joewintersjr.com. Book your free discovery call with me today. On today's podcast, I'm joined by a guest, Ariana Blossom. She is the founder of Blossom Consulting. Ariana, how are you doing today? I'm great, Joe. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me. I'm glad to hear you're, you're doing great. Um, I, I know you talk about the importance of storytelling for sales teams, CEOs, and small business owners. Can you tell um, us your story of learning the importance of storytelling? Where did it start for you? Oh, it starts in so many places. You know, I think it, um, you know, before you and I started, we were talking a little bit about my experience of being in the army. So I served for four years in the mid late nineties. And you know, I spent one year where I was serving in Fort Carson, Colorado. And right before I got there, um, I had been told the men you're about to serve with have never worked with women before. Mm. And I just sort of tucked that in the back of my mind, like an, uh-oh. Right. <laughs> and when I got there, I understood why I had been warned, right? It was like jokes, which weren't really jokes. It's sort of like the um, one that really stuck with me was the, you know, how can you trust something that bleeds seven days a month and doesn't die? Mm. And people laugh, but there's this just like feeling of like, well, you can't trust me because of basic biology. Right. Right. Um, and then there was the occasional grabbing and forced kissing. There was just a lot of like stuff kind of going on in the corners that I couldn't really get away from. Mm. And there were so few of us women, you know, that it's, it really created this dynamic where at times we were, you know, either really needed each other or really fighting with each other. Mm. And at one point, uh, one of the other women said, I'm going to talk to our commander about this. And I watched her walk up to him and I'm standing there and I'm, I'm like, just waiting, like holding my breath, thinking what's, what's about to happen. Right. And this conversation lasts, I don't know, 30 seconds. And she turns around, she comes back to me. She's got this look on her face and I ask her, what happened? And she said, he basically just told me boys will be boys. And I got the message, like, don't share. Don't expect us to do anything for you. And really what that did was suppress my willingness to share the stories about what were going on, right? Because there was no support from leadership to make right. any changes. And it right. honestly, like that experience kind of taught me uh, to really suppress so much of what I understood to be right and wrong. Mm. And it took me years to really kind of peel those layers away. Like I had to leave that base and I got orders to go to Germany and to be around people who that was not the way that they were going to behave, right? They mm. were much more used to working with women. They were much more inclusive right. of women. Um, I mean, there was still occasionally the comment here or there, but it was nothing. I mean, nothing like what it was in Colorado. And and then it became, you know, 
and it took me a while to be able to share any of those stories because what comes with those kinds of stories often are shame. You know, mm -hmm. the feeling like I, I should have said something, I should have done more, right? right. Like the person who's on the receiving end of that can often feel like it's somehow so much their fault. Um, and when I finally got to a point where I started really sharing stories, um, especially through business, I started to see how much a story really grabs people's attention. Right. You know, like I've seen it happen so many times where, you know, we, in business, we think we're supposed to sound important. We're supposed to sound like the expert. So we walk in and we have all the information and we're so <laughs> smart, right? Like we've got it all dialed in now. Right. But that like, that only keeps people's attention for so long. Right. But when you shift to a personal story, now people's attention narrows in, you know, and right now I'm uh, a team member for an organization called Gender Equity and Reconciliation International. And what we're doing is, you know, it's, it is an international organization. What we do is we bring people together virtually from all around the world. So I'm sometimes on calls with people from India, parts of Africa, Canada, the US, Australia. And what we're doing is creating a very highly structured, highly ritualized environment for people to share their stories of what it's meant to be a man in the world, what it's meant to be a, right. a woman in the world and what's challenging. And I'll tell you, Joe, what I have seen again and again is that that being in an environment where you are both encouraged to listen deeply right. to other people's stories and to share your stories without moralizing, without philosophizing, without theorizing, without saying what things should have been, but just to listen. That's the stuff where bias really starts to melt away because people suddenly see each other, mm. enter into compassion, which is like we suffer together, right? Right. We we recognize the suffering in each other, and it brings us closer. Mm. And to me, that's the power of storytelling: is being able to get that much closer to one another. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Thank. Um, I, I want to ask you, with what you do in the organization that you work with right now um how much of that is the byproduct of what you learned when you were serving meaning you know you were in an environment where it was you know there was no support from leadership so you suppressed sharing the stories of the things that was going on to now being within an organization where you're encouraging people to share their stories and their message um, you know, is what you're doing now with that, like literally the byproduct of learning a lesson within the army? I, yes. And, um, it is, and I, it's also the byproduct of being, a, a daughter of, uh, of an African-American man who was also, uh, an alcoholic who was abusive to my biological mother. Right. And so there's all these layerings of things, right? So to me going way back, I remember how much I loved my dad and how funny he was and how he talked about what it meant to be black and be black in America. And he would say like, he'd served 30 years in the Navy. And he said, I felt more welcome as a black man in Saudi Arabia and in Japan than I do in the US. Mm. And that listening to his stories also really impacted me. And my, the love that I had for him, right? Like, really shaped that relationship but so did witnessing the violence right right and like when you're in a home with violence so often there's suppression of those stories because right. 
you don't just walk out the door and be like, hey, guess what's happening in our house? Right. right. You know? And so right. there's like a layering of suppression that went on through my childhood, teenage years, and into adulthood. And so for me, it's like now being able to share stories, listen to people's stories, encouraging people to share more, I it's giving me a sense of freedom, right? To witness other people opening up and being able to, in a sense, be healed through a community of story um, storytelling. Mm. How hard was it um, for you to break the chains of suppressing who you are and what you have had to say and have to say? Yeah, <laughs> I would say it's it was pretty hard uh, and in different ways. So I get out of the military and I'm still, I don't even realize how suppressed I still am after four years, right? Okay. Um, but I go after about six months, I'm like, floundering around trying to figure out what to do with myself and my mother suggests why don't you go to massage school so I go to massage school and now everybody's got their shoes off you're sitting on the floor everybody's massaging each other it smells like patchouli for god's sakes like <laughs> and it's suddenly like these layers start to come off of me that I've put on to protect myself mm. and like oh I didn't even know that's who I was really like not since I was a little kid did I feel this sense of freedom and this was while attending massage school? Mm-hmm, yes. What, what was the connection there? What, like, or what do you think the connection there was? Like, was there a connection between being at massage school and triggering, removing those layers? Or it just so happened to be that's where you were when it happened? No, I think it was definitely that um, because it was such a different environment. And in that environment, people were very supportive. We were talking mm -hmm. about our health. We were talking about our bodies. We were, you know, people were talking about their sort of emotional experiences with being massaged. I mean, when you're getting touched and massaged by people right. every day for six right. months, there's no right. way you're not going to have some change. Right. right. No, de definitely. Definitely. Okay. I, I can see that. If you had to provide a step-by-step -step, uh, roadmap for someone who has a story or message that they would like to share, um, what would those steps be? Yeah, so it, you know, if you're wanting to share it more publicly, then the first thing I would say is that you want to take a look at the stories that you wanna share. Like, are these stories ones that you're ready to put out there? How do you, how do, how do you, how do you know the difference in between the ones you're ready to put out there and the ones you, you're not? Because you might be going through something right now where you think, well, this is important, maybe I should share it, but I'm not done understanding it myself. So if I put myself out there, I'm vulnerable in a way that is not serving me and is not serving the audience. Okay, I got, got it, got you, got so you. So there has to be some level of healing that's kind of happened or happening that you right. can rely on to get out there. Because the truth is once you tell your story out there, it's kind of not just yours anymore. Right, right. Because other people are gonna weigh in. Right. So in terms of like the practical things, I would say one is, you know, looking at your story on how does it serve an audience and which right. audience. Right. And um, and looking for like, you know, what's how does that tie together with something you care about? So if you have a particular mission, right, like you want to save the environment, but you have a you know, you have some story about what it was like for you growing up and you somehow want to tie those together, then what you need to do is look for, how does this story illustrate a concept 
or concepts within what I'm trying to teach people, mm -hmm. what I'm trying to get them to move to do. Right. Because essentially there's this uh, strategic communication uh, plan, which is often used in corporations and it's useful for this too. And it's the triple A. And that means awareness, attitude, and action. Awareness, First is you attitude, and action. Yep. First, you have to make people aware of what it is that you're trying to get them to, to know about. Okay. Right. The second one is that you're trying to help shape their attitudes, their beliefs, their values. Mm. And then the third one is what action do you want them to take? Mm. That's, 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 that's powerful. That's powerful. Was there, was there, <laughs> that's, that's, that's definitely powerful. So that, so that's, that's where to start um, knowing what stories you would like to share and um, you know, what those stories mean to you and the, and the triple A. Can, can you share those, the triple A with us again? Sure. So the triple A is awareness. First, awareness. you have to make people aware of what it is, right? Okay. So like, okay. you know, let's say that it's environment, right? Um, okay. That we grew up in a world with so much plastic, you could not even realize it's there. I remember the first time I walked into one of my local grocery stores and really thought about how much plastic was there. Mm. And I suddenly felt like someone had slapped me twice. <laughs> it was like, how, what are we going to do with all this stuff? You know, suddenly I'm aware of the problem. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is the attitude. What attitude do you want people to have? Do you want them to think it's a good thing or a bad thing? Mm. And we think about the news, you know, like there's so much criticism of mainstream media. And, you know, for some reasons, for some, in some ways, yes, they deserve it. Right. Um, and then also we do need people in journalism to help us understand what's actually happening politically and socially. Right. So they're helping shape our attitudes. Mm. And so that's a responsibility you have is to help shape the attitudes of your audience. And then the third one is action. Mm. What do you want them to do? I mean, the baseline stuff is like, well, check out my website or right. follow up on a call with me. Or it's right. like, do you, or is it more bigger than that? Do you want them to engage in a movement? Do you want them to change their behaviors in some way? What's the action that you're looking for them to take? Mm. Thank you for sharing that again. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> um, so I would imagine personal growth is a big part of your journey. What's your, what's your personal development routine? Oh, you know, it, it changes over time, but the biggest part for me is uh, eating well and moving okay. every day. Right. Like I because I recognize. So right now, one of the big things that I'm really doing is uh, hiring strategically to increase the capacity within my company. And in order to do that, right, like I have to shift from thinking like the business owner to thinking like the CEO. I have to think like the person who delegates. And that doesn't, you know, maybe for some people it comes naturally, but it didn't really come naturally <laughs> for me. <laughs> and so when I'm out, my husband and I go out for this really, like it's an hour long hike and it's a tough one. Um, you're either going up or you're going down. Um, and when I'm out there, sometimes I jog and I recognize what I'm doing is I am jogging the types of thoughts that I need to keep me in alignment with the tasks I have to accomplish every day, because I am choosing every day to be a little braver than I was the day before right. in the, in the tasks that I'm taking on the people I reach out to the way that I see myself. And so moving is a huge part of being able to integrate that from just how I tell myself I should feel versus how my body responds to what I'm thinking. Mm. That's, that's deep. I like the way you put that. <laughs> you're, 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 you're welcome. Uh, so one of one of your rules for success um, 
uh, for for viewers that don't know, um, guests gives me uh, their top five rules for success. And I wanted to speak about two of yours that just really stuck out to me. Um, one of your rules for success is when life feels uncertain, ask yourself, what do I want or need right now? Why is that important? Because you have to center, you have to center yourself. And sometimes life just feels so chaotic and there is so much information coming at us. I think I read something like, the amount of information in one New York Times each day is more information than someone in the 17th century would have encountered in their entire lives. Wow. We are living in a massive overload of information. Right. And it's, it can be really challenging, you know, between what your family wants you to do, what your friends think you should do, what right. the media says you should be, right? right. Everybody should be an influencer. Right, right. But, like, but you're taking in all these opinions and it can be hard to know, like, what do I actually want? Mm. Who am I in all this? What have I decided that, like, in this moment is important to me? Because if you don't know what you want, you're going to get pulled into what everybody else wants. Right, right. You know, That's and I, yeah, and it's really like being able to ask that question is like, how do you live a life with intention and on purpose? And so what do I want right now? And sometimes what you want right now is just, God, could I feel a little bit of peace mm. could i just feel a little right. sense of freedom right. or could i just you know maybe i could i want a, a better you know relationship or a better conversation than the one i had last night with my best friend with my husband mm. with my mom right whatever that thing is to be allow it to kind of come up to you and be specific with it and then sometimes just naming what it is that you want helps you relax mm. I agree. I agree. And I, 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 I really resonate with um, that rule for success. Um, because um, as you mentioned, if you don't know what you want, you really will get pulled into what other people want, um, you know, or what they want for you or want for themselves. But I mean, it's other than what you may want. And so you, you definitely need to know um, what you want. I think it's important to be open to new information, of course, new opportunities, but you definitely have to, um, know what you want and be actively um seeking what you want so i i really appreciate um you sharing that the um another one of your rules for success is to be ready to redefine how you think about who you are i wanted to ask you when did you learn this was necessary in your personal life mm. i think i learned it on an unconscious level pretty early on um because I had to cons constantly, I mean, being the child of an alcoholic and, in, and a codependent, like it requires a level of sort of, at least it did in my case, like really being attuned mm. to the emotions, the tension, the word choices that were happening in our house at any time to sort of decide when I was going to have to get involved. Um, and I think that it's, it's it created sort of a shape shifter. Like who am I supposed to be right now in order to make this situation safe? Mm. And it wasn't, I wasn't even aware of it until much later when a friend of mine who I met at massage school, she said, you and I share something, which is that we always recognize that we need, that we can, even if there's a situation we really don't like, we can change how we think about it. Right. And I'd never really noticed that I would, was doing that. And I've become much more intentional about that practice of changing my thinking. Um, but 
I think that it's like whenever you want to make a, a big change in your life, whether that means you're going to go after a, a promotion at work, you're going to become right. a parent, what's right. going to happen is that how you think about who you are right. is going to change. But you can, uh, I don't want to overemphasize this, right? But there is to some extent you can choose it. You definitely can. Yeah. And I can't say that you can do it a hundred percent. Right. Like, right. because when you get, when you have a kid, cause I've got a five-year-old, like all of a sudden it's like, there are ways that you're changing that you would not expect. I remember right, <laughs> right after my kid was born, I felt like it felt almost like my skin had become thinner. And I don't mean that I was like suddenly super sensitive to everybody, although I was, <laughs> I, it was like, I was, I felt permeable to the world in a way that I had never really experienced before. Mm. And I think that that's like a, you know, there's no way for me to have predicted that. Oh. It also shaped like, and I think that one of the things that happens when we think about redefining ourselves or it starts to happen because something has changed is that we interpret it as loss. Mm. I'm losing myself. I'm losing something. I'm losing control. And sometimes we do actually have to sacrifice things. As a parent, you're gonna sacrifice sleep. But the other thing that happens is that you may actually be expanding your identity, not right. losing it to include, like I was expanding my identity to include becoming a mother. I'm expanding my identity to become a CEO, not just a business owner. Right. You know, I, I completely agree with that. Um, all valuable information there. Uh, the first thing that I, I wanted to piggyback on is the fact that we can choose to some extent um, our new identities or new parts of our identities. Um, and I do agree that there are parts of our identities that we expand to that was outside of our control. Me being a father, I do understand that. Um, but when it comes to, and I just really wanted to kind of drive this po point home because I think that uh, most people know the latter, which is like there are parts of our identity we can't necessarily control based on things that we go through. But I think that a, a lot of people failed to realize that there are parts of our identity that we can be conscious about changing, right? Like, for example, if you're out of shape and you want to um, be in better shape, well, you simply changing your identity and saying, you know what, I'm now the person that goes to the gym. I'm the person that eats that eats um, in a healthy way, or I'm the I'm the vegetarian, or I'm the pescatarian, or I'm the. And it's not to say that you have to be perfect, but it's definitely to say that, like you know, speaking into existence that you are now that person that goes to the gym, although you might not have went to the gym last year. Well, you now go to the gym. So what you did last year realistically don't matter. And being intentional about reinforcing um, uh, that, that new identity with, with, um, consistent behaviors and habits. I, I really 100%, um, love that. Uh, I just want to add to that because I love what you're saying, because there's the idea, right. That like what you said about the old me didn't go to the gym last year. And what about now? And it's like, even in the transition of that self, the old self to the new self, Right. there are likely going to be days where like you didn't go to the gym <laughs> right right <laughs> and what does that mean like that doesn't mean you're suddenly the old self you're not going mm -hmm. backwards what's happening is that your you know your unconscious mind said hey like maybe we can like try to get you to <laughs> like take a break because right. it feels good. but you can always every moment of any day you can start and choose again right absolutely I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Um, the last question that I have for you today, um, if you had two minutes 
to give the entire world some advice, what would you say? Oh my God, that is a big question. Um, what would I say if I had two minutes to tell the world? Um, I would probably try to make a pitch for reconciliation. Mm. I would say to the world, what we need is to think about what South Africa did during its Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We actually need to get closer to each other, not farther away. We mm. need Palestinians and Israelis need to sit down and in a, in a highly structured, highly ritualized way, sit down with each other and have the chance to share each other's and hear each other's stories. We mm. need to do the same thing in America, right? Mm. We, we have to, because the we think so much about our racial divides, our gender divides. Right. And what I really want is for us to think about reconciling mm -hmm. with each other so that we feel closer to each other so that when we face these big problems like climate change, we're doing it together. Right. We're not doing it as, you know, like we're going to do our little thing over here. We're not going to do it at all because we're too busy fighting with each other. I would make the pitch for reconciliation and say, if we can get a little closer to each other, be a little braver, a little more vulnerable right. and say, I want to hear you and I want to be heard mm -hmm. and move from that space forward. I think there's so much we could accomplish. I agree with that and completely love your, your answer. Um, I know I said that was going to be the last question, but I have one more question based on your answer yeah. um, because at the heart of what you're saying is empathy and um, empathy is one of my core values. Uh, how, how can one, from your personal and, pro and professional experience, how can one develop um, the empathy that they have for others? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think the first thing we have to do is recognize that there are different types of empathy. One is there's just no empathy at all. Like, I don't feel nothing for you. Mm. Right. The second, the second thing is cognitive empathy, which is like, I think about empathy in the way like, Oh, your dog died? Yeah, you know, my dad, my dog died once too. It's, it's a sad thing, right? It's mm. like it's coming out of your mind. Right. If someone kneels down on the ground with you and pets your dog's head and says, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like it's happened to me too. And I know how I can see how much your dog matters to you and how much you love her. Mm. That person is emotionally right. empathizing with you. Right. And so recognizing that there are different types. And Emotional empathy comes from your body. Mm. So you have to be in your body in a, in a way that allows you to feel that connection with other people. So mm. if you live basically from the neck up, your empathy is gonna come from the neck up. Mm. All right. So it's a lot about, I think, developing a relationship with your body and imagining one of the ways that I tried to develop empathy and I thought actually found it quite helpful mm. is that, and I still do this, is that I imagine what someone might be feeling in a moment. So I might think about a story that I've just heard about Palestine or about Israel or about something you know, happening um, in the US or in anywhere, right? And I right. think about the person in it and I think, what would I be feeling right now if I were in that situation? And try to imagine something that isn't just like me, right? Like, uh, feeling from like the the white liberal upstate new york girl right. perspective but like what might it feel if i like feel like if i grew up in a different culture if i and what does that culture tell me about who i am mm. 
I spoke a different language, I ate different food, right? Like, right. like how might that change how I responded to some of these situations and, and would it, you know, like, right. and so I think it's just like endless amounts of curiosity and imagination to help you dive further into the empathy that exists inside your body. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Uh, yeah. if, if, you, if you don't mind, can you please share with my viewers where they can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look me up, Ariana Blossom. Um, you can also find me on my website, which is arianablossom.com. You're welcome to email me there. My email is ariana at arianablossom.com. So you're welcome to email me. I would love to hear from you. Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook, but to be honest, it's not my my first love, so I'm not there a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Completely understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining me um, today on the podcast. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Joe. You're welcome. You're welcome. And to my viewers, I hope um, you take something that you learned today and use it in your daily path. Until next time, I hope you have a blessed day. I want to be unique. Got more than my kid I could teach. I want you to hear when I speak. I want to free people imprisoned by stigmas and popular common beliefs. Don't want you to think. I want you to feel. Look down inside you and tell me what's real. If you're unsure, then you're uncured. We only get one life, man. It's a big deal. Do you love what you do? Hey, I wanted to jump on here really fast and say thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you got something from the message that you can use in your life. If you are a mission-driven individual who wants to share your message and change lives, then I'd love to show you how building a podcast can help you do that. Please visit joewintersjr.com to book a free discovery call with me so I can help you out. If you are an organization looking to bring me in to speak with your team or at your next event, you can book me by visiting my website, joewintersjr.com and scheduling a free discovery call so we can talk about your expectations and what you want from me. I'd really love to serve you. Have a blessed day.